you would join with me in prayer, then we'll read the word of the Lord, verses 9 and 10 of chapter 5 of 2 Corinthians, and pick up what the Apostle Paul is telling us. Father, thank you for bringing to remembrance the price for our salvation. And Father, when we grow weary, may we understand the cost. Father, thank you for this book, your holy Bible, and the men who pen down the words directed by the Holy Spirit so that we be encouraged, counseled, convicted, Lord, and yet, Father, comforted. Father, may we, when we leave this place, walk in a manner worthy, watching your spirit change our lives first. And may we present ourselves as living sacrifices to be used to change the lives of those you would bring to us. Father, help us. Help us to decrease that you may increase. May we see your glory, your power, your majesty in our brothers and sisters who labor together and Father in those that you would draw into your eternal kingdom. Thank you for this day, Lord. Thank you for these precious people. And Father, as they encourage me, Father, I pray at this time they be encouraged. To you and you alone, our King. Amen. Verse 9. Therefore, We also have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to Him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body, according to what he has done, whether good or bad. We are looking at the Apostle Paul's ambition. I shared with you when we started into this book, this book deals with ministry. You have to take 1 Corinthians first, deal with your own personal holiness, and then once you have dealt with that, then you move into ministry. And what I see described and defined in this day and age as ministry don't fit this letter. The ministry is very narrow, uh, and the ministry um, will give you heartaches, if not heartburn. And when I look at this, I I see it because when I started into this section, I looked at the word ambition. And and I I, I looked at that and I thought, when I hear the word ambition, it's it's got a negative connotation to it. I looked at it in the Latin language, in the Latin during the time of the Roman Empire. It had it spoke primarily of politicians and it literally means in the Latin ambition was to face both ways. Um, but the Greeks had it as a noble thing. Ambition was a, a noble thing to strive after. Of course, when you see the Apostle Paul say here, we also have as our ambition, then you can say this would be a noble ambition. So one of the things that we've been looking at, the three points that you see in your outline, one is was Paul's goal. Paul's goal was to be pleasing to the Lord. Paul's goal. Now you think about that for a second because each of us have different, are in different places in our lives and we have things that we are dealing with. All right? 
I mean, you've got different co-workers, maybe different neighbors, the relationship between you and your spouse, you're between you and your kids, maybe you've got grandkids, but you have all of these things, and they're all kind of tugging at you, trying to get your little focus thing going, and then you have to stop at times and say, what is your ambition? What is your goal? And can I look at my interaction with other people and situations and attitudes and action? Can I say that I'm doing these with the primary focus, the primary foundation is to be pleasing to God? Sure does clean out the clutter, doesn't it? It's like when we pray in Jesus' name. It's a, I'm praying this because this is what Jesus wants. Well, I sure shorten my prayers because there's only a handful of things that I can look at and say, I know this is what Jesus wants. And then usually the other stuff is what I want. And I hope he does. But if you really stop and you think about it and you say, this thing that I am doing, is it pleasing to God? And the apostle Paul lived his life that way. I mean, I have spent, and I've shared this before, probably in my life, I've probably spent more time with the Apostle Paul than any individual. And there's no doubt in my mind, when I read of this man, he was striving to be pleasing to God. That was his goal. But then he gets into it in the second part of verse 9, and he says, you know what? I am trying so hard. Here is the expanse of my devotion to this. And at the end there, you see it, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to him. That means whether I am home or I am absent, which means either I'm alive or I am dead. I am striving to be pleasing to God. Now, that covers a pretty good size expanse, don't you think? I mean, living... Or in his presence, either one, I'm still striving, striving to be pleasing to God. That's, shall we call it a devotion? I mean, there are things I guarantee that you are devoted to. We have a little sporting event this afternoon that people are going goofy over. And they are devoted to it. You know what? I grew up in football country. I had two professional football teams when I was growing up. I need to run them. We were at the nickel, but you know, it's, we got two. <laughs> um, and, and so you, you, you dealt with them and, and, and I grew up playing football. I love football, but you know what? I don't have no devotion to this. People ask me, well, who are you pulling for? I, I just want to check out the commercials. <laughs> I don't, I, I'm not pulling for either one of them. Okay. I'm, I'm sure that. About eight o'clock tonight, it'll all be concluded. And then what? All right. But I watch people who become devoted to sporting events or, or a sports team or, or, or whatever. And, and yet I, I think about the average Christian's devotion to Christ. Really? Really? Is it there? No, I'm devoted to wings. Um, but I'm more devoted to Christ. All right. I was reading a, a biography on John Calvin. John Calvin, everybody has this mindset about him. Um, 
John Calvin was an amazing man. And if he had a busy day, and if you read what his average day is, I'm like, really? How much busier are you going to get? But if he had a busier day, his days always started between 4.30 and 5 o'clock in the morning. Okay? And if he knew he was going to have a lot going on in a day, he would get up three hours earlier so he could have three hours of prayer before he started his day. I, I've, I've never really been successful praying in the dark. Um, you know, my heart intended, but the body says it's dark. <laughs> and there's one thing you're supposed to be doing in the dark. Okay, but I, I read these kind of things. And when our day gets busy, who gets the short end of the stick? You or Jesus? Okay, and that, you know, I shared with you, some of you, before that uh, years and years ago when uh, they asked me to be the senior pastor of this church um, I, I had basically just been filling in because our pastor had left and they said we want you to be the senior pastor and then they um, I, I think I taught through the book of first Peter and then uh, they said we want you to be the pastor so I said all right well here's what I'll do I, I pour myself out on Monday I'm take or on Sunday, I'm going to take Monday off. Okay, what do I do for a living? I pray and I read my Bible. So I'll take Mondays off. All right? Mondays mean I won't pray and I won't read my Bible. I made it to 11 o'clock in the morning. And God said, what? <laughs> so I said, oh, dude, we just got to make sure that was a real bad idea. Okay, and from that point on, I'm like, no, I'm reading and I'm praying every day and I don't care what's going on around me. Okay, and if I have to shortchange me, I'm going to because I'm going to keep that going. Why? Because we have to have that devotion. You know, I've had people ask me, well, how did you get to teach and and do these things like in Israel and and, and all the rest of it. And you you never have been educated and all the rest of it. And I says, I gave a devotion to the word of the Lord. And then I had a person accuse me and said, well, you've made the Bible an idol. And I said, you used to see what I used to worship. But um, I thought, you know, when I first heard that, I thought, oh, I've got that idolatry thing. I don't want no part of that. But then I read that in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Oh, that's not a bad idol. I'm in. So that is our devotion. What are we are devoted to? It is easy to see what a person is devoted to, and it takes just a brief moment of conversation to understand what their devotion is. Which brings me to Paul's motive in verse 10. This key is key to the Apostle Paul. Let's read it. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. This is really what Paul was moved by. Okay? I was reading Linsky, and Linsky made this, and I thought this was a cute statement, and I quote, tremendous accountability, unquote, because I hear uh, people saying, you need to have an accountability partner. Verse 10 ought to be all the partner you need. 
Okay? We must all stand before the judgment seat of Christ and give an account. You really need more motivation than that. And remember what I shared with you last week in 1 Corinthians 4? He says, what you think of me is small. Even my self-examination is of little importance. And I haven't even got any concern over the judgment of any court of man. Verse 10, here, you see what he was concerned about. The reason our ambition here, uh, whether I'm here or whether I'm absent, is because we must appear. We must appear. Um, I'm a cursory reading of this without getting into any of the depth of it um, should motivate to an accounting idea that says, hello. Now, I want us to look at this. I'm just going to tear this thing completely apart because he starts it out there. He says, we must all. And then he uses and each one. Okay, um, in the context of this, he's speaking of this tent that is slowly being dismantled as we groan and as we wait for the heavenly body. So he's saying you can't disregard this vessel that you're in. The, the Flip Wilson that says, the devil made me do it. You can't do it. Why? The things that you are doing right now have eternal ramifications to you. Because if it says we all and each one, that's very specific. Also, the culture that the Corinthians existed in was antinomian. Um, the flesh was evil and the spirit is good. Uh, you see that alive and well and thriving amongst us right now. Because, you know, if I wasn't in this old stinking container, I wouldn't have done all them knucklehead things. Um, yeah, you would. And when Paul brings this out, he's speaking of an event that all of us, I'm going to have to go through. Now, I, I need to share something with you. Who's he talking to here? The church. The church. So he's saying, if you are a Christian, you will stand before the judgment seat of Christ, each and every one of us. We all must appear. And, and what he's saying is, everything will be made manifest. It will be made clear. It will be revealed and exposed. And then hear an amen out of that. <laughs> we all to us because now listen, I, I want you to understand something. It's going to be exposed to who? To the individual. Why? God already knows. It's not going to expose. Oh, I didn't see that. Nope. He's going to show it. To you and to me. 
No, I'm not going to stand in the line and say, look at Brian's. <laughs> wow. That's not what this text says. This text says you intimately with God before the judgment seat of Christ. He's going to show you what happened and what's going on. See, we will find out what the real verdict on our life is. Okay? Now, contextually, I'd be real careful with this. It will be the verdict on your ministry. It will be the verdict on your service. Now, when I read this and it says, we'll be recompensed for his deeds in the body. Okay, that people say, well, is that like because I'm in this earthen vessel? Or is it because like I'm in the body of Christ? You know what the answer is? Yes. <laughs> All right. If I'm outside of this earthen vessel, I'm in the presence of Christ. I'm not in the church anymore. All right. So... It will be the deeds in the body of Christ that you have performed in your earthen body. And God will give you the verdict on it. Now then, I got to make this emphatically clear. If you're asleep, wake up. This has nothing to do with sin. Do you hear me? Sin has been dealt with. Do you understand that? Okay, it is the manifestation of our secret motives. It will show us what we've done and why we did it. Because our heart is deceitful. And it's sometimes we don't even know what it's doing. It will show us what our attitudes were. Okay, listen. We will see and it will show us the amazing work of God in us. When people look at the judgment seat of Christ, they immediately go, uh-oh. And I mean, I just witnessed it here. You will stand and give an account before Christ. Every one of you. Ugh. <laughs> Can I wait till tomorrow? <laughs> and you know what? This is one guarantee I can give you right now. And this is a guarantee. We will all be surprised. Now listen, be real careful because I know what our propensity is. We're not going to be surprised at what is burned up, but what is left. There are things that you've done in the service of Christ you don't know you did. And all of a sudden, it's going to shine brightly. And you're going to go, oh. And you know what? We will all be able to sit there at that time as we look to the judgment seat of Christ. And we will all be able to praise God with all the stuff that is gold, silver, and precious stone. Things that you and I never dreamed of that God used you for and you served and you didn't even know you did it. Karen here. There's a lady in this church. Brings her grandson. 
Okay, kid as a button. He smiles at me the whole time I'm preaching. He's the only person I've ever been able to. Uh, the only person normally I I am never distracted by anything that goes on in a congregation. But Max can. <laughs> he, 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 anyway, he just said. We prayed for his life. He was not supposed to be born. It was an unwanted pregnancy. And his grandma sought me out and Stephanie out. And we began praying that this little boy would be among us. And now I can look back at it. Maybe that's why it's so distracting to me is to say, I prayed for your life. And here you are. That's one of those things you pray for. You ever just throwing prayers up and say, well, I hope some of that sticks. I know you guys have never done that, but <laughs> I'm sort of guilty of it. But here I can sit and look at that child and say, whoa, our God rules. You ever thought about that? There are things that you have done. You have no idea that you've done them. We moved into an area the size of the Carolinas in Virginia that had two churches. We did it. Uh, help me here. <laughs> You're so much. The lady who plans. It's been what? Nine years. We started nine years ago. Had two churches in an area of the Carolinas in Virginia. Okay. Right now, because of what we did through prayer, travels, and things like that, we got 27 full-time churches that are only lifting up the word of God. That's all they're doing. We didn't do it through any organization or through any denomination or anything like that. We pull our money out and we said, here, here's what we're going to do. These guys want the word. They asked us, can you help put a fence around the church to protect it doctrinally? Amen. I'm in. You look at us, we're small and yet. 27 churches. And you know, I've been to some of these churches. I, the one church that we started in, their Sunday school class is probably 19 or 20 times the size of our church. Okay? And that's just gold, silver, and precious stone. That's the kind of stuff that is that we're talking about here. We're all going to be surprised. And you know what? There's going to be some who's going to be shocked into the negative side. You know, I thought I did, uh, and you didn't. It, it, when I look at this, it is that moment when all of the hypocrisy, all of the concealed stuff, all of the waste, the useless stuff is just flat out stripped away. All the things that you thought, well, I'm thinking that this is really going to bless something. And you're going to realize, nope, didn't bless nothing. 1 Samuel 16, 7 says, God looks on the heart. Looks on the heart. Hey, have you ever had done those half-to ministries? Well, one of my faults as a pastor is I hate to ask people to do things. Okay, because people have it in their mind that if the pastor asks, I have to do it. Okay, and I it's just, it's, it's a little frustrating to me at times. Okay, but then I've learned that there's times I've got to have help. You know, we've got these uh, uh, bumper things that are out there that, that your car pulls up against. The guy who plowed the driveway pushed a bunch of them around. Them things weigh a lot. 
He pulled them up into a pile yesterday, and they were blocking the entryway. And so I'm out there, and I thought, well, I'll just drag this over and put it back. Oh, my God. <laughs> and he had moved all the snow, so there's nothing slick left. <laughs> and so I'm sitting there going, Al, why ain't you here yet? <laughs> heavy, heavy things. Ask. And you know what? And I was, I, as the pastor, hey, help. <laughs> These things weigh as much as a Buick with no wheels. But there's times that we get into these things and we think that we're going to have to ask somebody and, and we're going to need something. And there's things that you, you think that this is going to be legit. And, and it's not. It's a waste of time. It will be revealed to each individual. He says each one. And it was what? According to what has been done. Okay, now look, I want you to back up here because it says here, the judgment seat of Christ. Okay, the word there in the original language is bima. Okay, and I've heard all of the explanations on it. I took it back to the original language and it just means a place reached by steps. I know, you was really expecting something, but that's all it means. It's a platform. If you go to Nehemiah 8 verse 4 and go to the Septuagint, you'll see that Ezra got up on the bima. And spoke. You know what they call it? Podium. In the Greek culture, it was a platform and it was basically used for athletes. The athletes would get up on the one who won, would get on the highest part of the platform, and he was the winner. That's where he would receive his crowns. Okay? The New Testament refers to the place where judgment takes place. What are you doing with an athlete? The judgment has taken place and you are now being rewarded. It also speaks in John 19, 13 and in Matthew 27, 19, where Pilate said, Pontius Pilate. And it was Jesus had to go up the steps to the platform where Pilate was. Okay, now then. This platform has a uh, has a mindset of judging. Um, but like I said, the bulk of the time you see it used, it's speaking of a place where the athletes receive their rewards. And it's any elevated place. So, this is an elevated place where Christ sits. So you will look up to Christ. It is where the Lord is going to sit and he will render the evaluation of our lives for the purpose of rewards. Okay. Now, listen, I got to reiterate this has nothing to do with sin. It's our lives. The rest of stuff of of our what we've done after our salvation. Listen, it can't be sin. If it's sin, then it's you believe that or anybody says that, that's blasphemous. The Bible says you're in, your sins are as far as the east is from the west. It is in the deeps. It can be remembered no more. This is not sin. Any person that comes up and says, this is the judgment of a believer's sin is calling God a liar. Bad move. Okay? Jesus' work on the cross was complete. It is finished. What was he dealing with? Sin. 
That's why Romans 8.1 says, There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. They are remembered no more. But, there will be an evaluation. Okay? That's why I look at this text, 2 Corinthians, and say, This is ministry. Why? He starts it out early. This is what we are doing. This is why we are doing it. Why? I must give an account. In this city of Corinth, in the middle of it, in the main street, there was a bema, a high platform right in the middle of the city of Corinth, and the city officials would climb up there and they would give awards to citizens. You remember I started this book several years ago, and I spoke of the Isthmian Games. It was to compete with Athens. They had their Olympics. The Corinthians would have the Isthmian Games. And it was a place that they would come, and they would award the athletes who were participating in the events. You also see it in Acts 18. Okay, I'll let you go look at it on your own. But they bring Paul before the Bema Council... Because he's reaching the Jews. And (laughs) the pro-council has the Jewish uh, rabbi beaten because he says, this is dealing with your word. I got nothing to do with this. (laughs) So he beat him. It's kind of funny, I thought. But anyway, okay. So it, it it is the place in the center of town. It's elevated where the deeds of the person are presented. Okay, it can be judicial. Okay, you can bring a person for a justice ruling. Okay, it can be that of honor. You can find a person guilty or innocent if it's a a judicial move or if it's an athlete, it is a place of rewarding. Paul is telling us that we all are going to stand before Christ's judgment on our efforts. And all of the hypocrisies will be dealt with. Okay? It's very similar to uh, Romans 14, verses 10 to 12. But why do you judge your brother? Are you again? Why do you regard your brother with contempt? For we will stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall give praise to God. So then... Each of us will give an account of himself to God. It's real straightforward. Um, in John's Gospel, chapter 5, verses 22 to 27, we find the judgment seat of God, and it has been given to Christ. Christ will sit in judgment. Okay? Um, it's, I guess, the thing that I'm trying to get really us to focus on that it is personal in nature. It isn't like we're going to have a whole group of us all standing up there. All right. And everything's getting exposed. It's, it's going to be an individual thing. And you're going to give an account. It's an individual account. And I've already tried that, you know, blame somebody else for what you didn't get accomplished. Um, that hasn't worked since the Adam and Eve problem. Uh, we'll keep trying. I'm sure we'll keep trying. But it's, it's the way this is all structured, it's not collective. Um, 
And, and then everybody, it's not everybody's going to see everybody else's hypocrisies. Okay, it's, you know, I've heard it described that your life will play out on a great screen and everybody's going to be sitting there going, do you believe that? That's probably what I'd be doing, but anyway. <laughs> Dude, I've never done that. Okay, but that ain't the way it is. That ain't the way it is. And, and, and back to your text here, it says, we will appear for the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may be recompensed. It literally means recompensed is to receive back. Um, the literal Greek translation is giving back a fitting gift. Getting back a fitting gift. For the things that were done in the body, the deeds. What did you do? Okay. And in what did you do? Why did you do it? Does that make sense? Okay. There are have tos. Okay. Which makes you very religious. There are want tos, which make you very much like Christ. What has been done and then whatever has been done, they'll give back what is due. Okay, if it was a crime, it the punishment. But if it was for honor, it's a reward. That day comes, we who are Christians will stand before him. He will look down and he will see us standing there. And it is time for us to receive the reward for what we have done. Okay? And it's going to be... Now listen, you've got to understand this. It's going to be based on the deeds we have done in this body. Right here. This temporal body has eternal ramifications. You can't... You know, when I look at the Apostle Paul and I see it in the evangelical community today, we have a a desire. I I believe it's an excuse to kind of disregard the container. You know, he had to save this old thing. So what was he expecting it to do? Um, We who are saved have a longing for the resurrection. A holy, pure, perfect body. We have a longing for perfection. But I also know that the Bible tells me that I am to take this container, this tent, all right, and present it as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable. All right, so you you can't get into the, well, you know, if I'd have had another body, I could, uh, no. Or if I would, uh, you know, there's times, most of you know my testimony, I was saved late. <laughs> That's what I call it. Um, and I keep thinking, if I'd have got saved as a teenager, how much heartache I could have really spared myself from, and how much, you know, I would have been able to have that time, you know, you kind of look back on it. But then when you say saved late, it's like God misplaced you. Well, I forgot he was over there. Dude, I thought he was going to be in Colorado. Here he is in Ohio still. What's the matter with him? Okay, so 
don't misconstrue me on that. But there's times when I look at it, if Lord had you saved me earlier and God says, you couldn't get saved earlier. Okay. You are my primary definition of stiff neck. But I can't disregard my container. And there's times that I strive and there's times that I struggle to make it holy and acceptable. But I go back and I take great comfort in King David. You look at his life, given the kingdom, and he was a murderer, an adulterer, had multiple wives, which weren't enough, and he decided he'd have a whole bunch of concubines too. Okay? And yet God said he was a man after his own heart. Now, as I look at the outward container, I sit there and go, are you kidding me? But the one thing that is amazing about King David is when he sinned, he knew it was against God. Now, Uriah might want to argue that, but he understood that it was against God, regardless of what he did. And he also understood that he was not going to get the privilege of building the temple because he had blood of innocent man on his hands. Okay, He also tried to lie to a prophet. You ever think how stupid that is? <laughs> anyway, <laughs> well, it was kind of stupid if you ask me. That's a prophet, David. <laughs> That's just not going to fly. If he actually came to see you, and you're going to lie to him? Brilliant. When we are holy and acceptable as living sacrifices, then we are well-pleasing. It goes back to what is the ambition's goal, to be pleasing to him. What you do in this body is going to be the issue. I didn't hear no amen out of that one either. This earthly tent has an impact on eternity. That is why God is so awesome. He took that and did what? I mean, the angels long to understand the salvation. You're turning the world upside down with that? It's a sack of meat. Revelation 22, 12, Jesus says, Lo, I come quickly and my reward is with me. Okay, again, I will remind you, this is not sin. This is the deeds that you've done in the body. Listen, what you have done with your body that has eternal value. Okay? Not everything you do with your body is sinful. All right? If you go walking, that is not sinful. Okay? If you play golf, it is not sinful. It has the potential, but it's not in its onset. I I have seen people who have stepped into sin in golf. <laughs> so I remember sitting one time at a tee box and a guy hit the ball straight at me and I was sitting 90 degrees off of him. I don't know who sinned. <laughs> Was it me or him? <laughs> you can go fishing. It's not sinful. 
Did you know that you can go to the mall and it is not sinful? Painting your house is borderline. Did you know riding a motorcycle is not sinful? Getting your degree is not sinful. If you're looking for a job promotion, it's not sinful. You can even write a poem and it's not sinful. Life is full of stuff that is not sin. But what you do with your time in the deeds of the body, whether good or bad. Okay, good or bad. Okay, good is pretty straightforward. The word bad there, everybody gets the bad things. Okay, three words that we translate bad. Okay, one is poneros. Poneros is a moral evil. Okay, it's not poneros. Okay, another one is kakos, which just means evil. All right, that ain't the word that is used here. Okay, the word that is used here is phallos. Okay, phallos. You know what that means? Useless. Worthless. See, and life is like that. You can spend a day in the study of God's word. Now listen, has anybody here spent an entire day studying God's word? Okay. But if you did do that, you know what? That's good. That's good. What if you spent a day walking through the mall? Well, if you walk through the mall singing hymns, that's good. <laughs> but from a man's perspective, that's useless. <laughs> I don't care if you are singing. I'll give you an idea. Monday, I had to do my, I, I do a yearly thing because of my pre-existing conditions. I do my yearly uh, poking and prodding and bloodletting. And uh, for whatever reason, I had to park on the fifth level of the parking garage at the medical facility. And uh, I went over, stood for about a half an hour being useless, waiting on the elevator. And decided I probably ought to walk down the stairs. And so I walked, started walking down the stairs. And this guy was coming down, okay, uh, and, and I caught up with him because he had a, a disability of some type on his left side, possibly stroke-induced or something to this effect. And, and I said, can I help you? And he says, no, I'll, I'll make it. And I've got plenty of time, all the rest of it. And I said, you sure? And I think we were on level three. And I said, you know, I, I'll help you get down. And he's, no, 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 that's okay. And I said, well, you know, then I start feeling guilty. I was like, how about I help you get down? Because <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to see you come rolling down behind me. Um, so I help him get down. And, and, and we get down. And, and he kind of looks me. And he, he, there are certain people who will look you in the eye. Okay, and he looked me straight in the eye and he says, Lord bless you. And I just sit there and I look back at him and I says, sir, you have no idea how much the Lord has blessed me. Okay. But remember, I was standing at the elevator going, come on, come on. <laughs> 
I haven't given blood in a year. I'm ready. <laughs> okay? But there I go down the stairs, and here's this guy, and I'm like, oh, man, this guy's not going to make it. See, there are people in need. And you show them the love of Christ. Guess what? You have no idea what the ramifications of that's going to be. Remember I told you guys, and I'll give you another illustration, that one time I was in Zminka, and the guy had the Belarus motorcycle. And uh, so I jump on this motorcycle. He says, you ride? I said, yeah. And he says, you want to take it for a ride? I was like, yeah, I'll take it for a ride. So I take off, and I circle around Lenin. Every town's got a statue of Lenin in the middle of it, so I do a lap around Lenin. Come back, park it. We're going to have a Wednesday night service. So I go in, and all of a sudden, this guy comes walking in. And he says, is that the guy that went around the statue of Lenin? And immediately your heart goes, oh, is that against the law? <laughs> I'm not allowed to circle Lenin. <laughs> Nobody told me. And he says, uh, you're American. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How do you know? Because you're circling Lenin. No. Uh, and... He came to see what the American was doing in his town, a little small town. He said, and the guy is now a deacon in that church. All because I took a motorcycle around Lennon. <laughs> see, your and my life is full of stuff. All day long, it's full of stuff. Okay? And at the bema of Jesus Christ, it all gets sorted out. The time you walked around in the mall all day and you didn't sing a hymn. Okay? The time that I stood at an elevator thinking, what is technology up to here? You know. See, God's going to look at it and God already knows what is the wood, the hay, and the stubble. And it's consumed before Him. It's just consumed. And all that is left is the gold, the silver, and the precious stone. And that will be exposed on the condition of your heart. What was your attitude? What was your actions? There's things that you've done for Jesus because you had to. There's things that you do for Jesus because of your overwhelming love for Him. Which ones are you supposed to stand the fiery gaze of the Bema seat? What is worthless and what is good? I'll deal with that next week. Let's pray. Father, to your glory. Father, I pray that none walk from here afraid of the judgment seat of Christ. And Father, I pray that we will have an anticipation of the judgment seat of Christ. That we will have a greater understanding of amazing grace. And yet, Father, for such a time as this, you have us here. Help us, Lord. Help us to understand that each of us will stand before the King of kings and Lord of lords and give an account. And Father, let us have an expectant heart on the amazing things that an awesome God does through these clay pots. Father, may we be overwhelmed as the Apostle Paul was overwhelmed. 
Father, may it be our ambition, each and every one of us, to be pleasing unto you. To your glory, to your praise, in Christ's name, amen.